When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else. That's a fanfare. And it's a fanfare for a reason. We have reached our 200th episode. Susie Dent, are you there? I am here and I'm reeling. I, I genuinely, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. I still can't quite believe that it's that many. 200 episodes and a fanfare. Can I ask you the origin of the word fanfare? Any <laughs> idea where that comes from? Um, well, there's a lovely French word that people still use, which is fanfaron, which I love. And it's basically echoic. So they also have fanfare, uh, spelt the same way as us. And it's a flourish or a short tune, obviously sounded by trumpets. And I think it was all about its sound. So it's onomatopoeic. Oh, interesting. I assumed mm. it came from fan and fair. No. Because what we're offering today is fair from our fans. Fair meaning F-A-R-E, meaning what? Food, substance? Yes? Uh, yes. Or how do you fare? Farewell? How do you sort of, you know, how are you essentially? How do you go? Uh, so lots of different meanings. And I mentioned fanfaron, which is a great French word. And it basically means a real blusterer or boaster. So somebody who trumpets uh, all the time about um, their own prowess. Good. A fan, of course, in a different context. A fan is an admirer. That's short for fanatic, I assume. It is, yes, fanaticus, uh, which for the Romans meant somebody who was possessed by a demon. So someone so obsessed that they indulged in extreme behaviour because they were possessed. Oh, very good. Well, we are thrilled that we have fans. I, some are lucid martyrs, others are committed admirers, <laughs> and we call them the purple people because we've had 200 episodes of Something Rhymes with Purple where we've talked on so many different subjects, drinking, theatre, death, hair, biscuit school, sex, board games, fish, cricket, water vessels, 200 different themes. Mm. Extraordinary. Amazing. Uh, it's four years almost. Our first episode was back in April 2019, before the word pandemic was a word on everybody's lips, before yep. people had heard of COVID, let alone COVID-19. Anyway, and over those four years, we've built a wonderful community of purple people. And we've met many of you, which has been lovely, at our live shows around the United Kingdom. And we've heard from many of you from across the world via email, Twitter, and now over Instagram, Facebook. Is TikTok going to be next? Should we do a TikTok? Should there be a purple TikTok, you and me, jigging away? 
I've already got a TikTok. I just need to do oh, more on it. I've got a TikTok and I think I've got two followers and I've put out two little TikToks. Excellent. I'm not quite sure what it involves. I need to get the grandchildren around to explain <laughs> yeah. it to me. Well, I know. Um, it's, not, it's quite alien for we who are less focused on pictures and very much more focused on words. Well, one of the things when it comes to words that I think you have given me during the past four years, as well as exploring so many words and teaching me so much, is you've come up with brilliant words for specific experiences or, or, or feelings that I didn't realize there was a, already a word for. For example, among my favorites, a, a word I, I wasn't familiar with until you introduced me to it, was the word confelicity, which mm. is taking pleasure in other people's happiness. Is that right? Yes, it's the unselfish joy in someone else's pleasure. It's lovely. Good. And over the years, the idea of coming up with precise words for uh, precise experiences and feelings is one of the things that purple people seem to have enjoyed too. So we thought that we would use our 200th episode to dedicate it to you, the purple people, and um, do a service to the English language by filling in these head-scratching linguistic gaps. So you no longer need to exclaim, there must be a word for that, because we're going to come up with the missing words. Yes, we've had some absolutely brilliant suggestions and we've got lots of them, so should we kick off? Well, let's begin with a suggestion from Tom Candy. We asked, what should we call our 200th episode? What is 200? Have you got any ideas here? He uh, says bicentennial is 200 years, so for a podcast, perhaps it should be bicentepial, epial standing, I think, for um, episode, which is quite nice. And just a quick note on... Um, Bicentenary, that originally referred to 200 of anything, not necessarily years, but it was confused with bicentennial, which does mean 200 years. So um, that's Tom's suggestion, bicentepial. Jessica Yang has got a suggestion. She has sent us um, a message from Snowy Zurich. She says, I came across the word kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, in an article recently as a word to describe important moments in life in which everything happens. It's not the minutes, hours, days, years that come Life should really be measured in kairos. Kairos. Yes, so, or kairos. I think kairos. it's gorgeous. It's just so lovely. And um, I have to say thank you to Jessica because I wasn't really massively aware of this word. And it goes back to the Greek meaning the right or the proper time. And as Jessica says, describes important moments in life that are full. So it's the propitious moment for something happening or coming into being. And there's a lovely quote from 1936 and a textbook, a history textbook, actually. And it says, we call this fulfilled moment, the moment of time approaching us as fate and decision, kairos. In doing this, we take up a word that was, to be sure, created by the Greeks, but attained the deeper meaning of fullness of time, of decisive time, only in the thinking of early Christianity and its historical consciousness. Isn't that lovely? The, the perfect moment when something eventful takes place. It's a kairos. That's yeah. what you'd call it. I think that's great. Can you give me a sentence to use the word? Because I, one of the things I found when you introduce us, as you have done over the last 200 episodes, to so many new words, mm. is that until you begin using them in a, in a context, they can disappear. Give me a phrase involving kairos. I would say that every kairos in my life has taken place when I was least expecting it, for example. Uh. Or these kairos in history 
are still rippling through today. So, you know, these are the sort of epochal moments of history. Or if it's simply the propitious moment for doing something, which is just, you know, he chose his kairos well, that kind of thing. I think it's really beautiful. I like it. So it's a magic moment. It's a special, yeah, yeah cling on to that kairos. Love yeah. it. Okay, thank you very much, Jessica Yang. Well, let's rattle through some questions that have come in. We've heard from Dylan Ross and family who have asked this. Is there a word for the moment of physical build-up to a sneeze (laughs) that doesn't come to fruition? The deep inhale, the scrunching of the face, the tickle at the back of the nose that proceed nothing. (laughs) Um, Well, what what do you think of that? That's a wonderful... Do you know that sensation? The nose is pricking... Oh, totally. And you really want it to. It's like, (laughs) hang on. And um, sometimes you can stop a sneeze as well, can't you? I honestly, I have to say, I don't have anything that fits that perfectly. I did think of huff snuff when you're sort of... But huff snuff is already taken to mean a sort of boasting swaggerer. So the only thing I can think of is semi-sternutation, because sternutation is the technical word for sneezing. So maybe you have a semi-sternutation. Gosh, a sternutation is a sneeze. It's the act of sneezing, much as oscitation is the act of kissing and... Micturation is the act of urinating. Urinating and pandiculation is essentially stretching and yawning at the same time. Um, Actually, oscitation is yawning, sorry, and osculation is kissing. So, uh, yes, it's a technical term. Oh, isn't, isn't, did you say osculation for kissing? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Very good. We've got to get these things right, because if you can't (laughs) tell you're you're yawning from your kissing, you're going to be in trouble (laughs) on date night, I can tell you. Uh, Liz Muir. Uh, comes from Santa Cruz in California. Well, that's where she's living. I think she's actually British. And she says, I was recently singing the theme to Black Beauty. Oh, I love that music. I used to tune in to Black Beauty every, I think it was on a Sunday, wasn't it, Liz, or Saturday. And it was do, 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 Oh, well, I want you to go oh, on. No, Please go on doing it until I do remember it. No, no, it was such a beautiful theme. What tune, a loss to musical theatre you've been, Susie <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, I'm with you, Liz. It makes me cry as well. Is there a name for that, she wants to know? Yes. A piece of musical art that evokes a strong emotion. Oh, that's very good. Oh, well, two words for you. One is, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about my collection of names for different emotions. And that was stound, S-T-O-U-N-D. And a stound is a pang of emotion. It doesn't have to be, you know, tears or sadness or nostalgia. It can be anything, really. It can be grief. It can be regret. It can be joy. But it's a pang of emotion that hits you. And it can hit you particularly when you see something you haven't seen for a very long time or if you walk into a room that suddenly reminds you of moments in the past. So there's stound and there's also much more joyfully a glee dream. And a glee dream comes from the old English glee, meaning entertainment or music. So glee originally meant fun, really, or joy in things like music. And it's defined, Glee Dream, in the dictionary as joy in minstrelsy. So listening to a minstrel will give you that joy. And finally, actually, I'm going to add a third one to the list. There is, in Arabic, the word tarab. And tarab is the emotional transformation that is induced by music. And for Arabic speakers, it's a 
really transcendent emotional state and it's particularly in a live performance and the audience feels it and the musician feels it as well. So it's a summoning of personal memories and cultural ones. So perhaps in the end, that's the one that fits Liz's question most, Tarab. How do you spell that again? T-A-R-A-B. Tarab. I love it. Yeah. So There's a lovely yes. quote from Victor Hugo, sorry. Yes, no. He said that music expresses that which cannot be put into words and that which cannot remain silent. Oh, that's very good. Beautiful. When have you last, or when did you first, can you remember a Tarab moment in your life where there's been that sense of sound that you speak of? Something that makes um, you emotionally... Yes. It's funny. I still have this in my... I have lots of memory boxes in my wardrobe, and there was a particular CD that came free with a magazine and it was a meditational relaxation CD, but it was it had beautiful music on it. And it was the backdrop, the, the sort of soundtrack really to the early days after I'd had my eldest and it was, she was literally days old and I would play it and she would fall asleep in my arms. And so I've kept the CD and when I put it on, tears will flow because it was just such a beautiful, unique time in my life. So that was definitely a recent tarab, not the first one, but a very, very strong one for me. That's a tarab that brings to mind a keros. That's true. Very That's good. very true. Yeah. Let's move on to our, our next inquiry. It comes from Beth Phillips. Um, hi, Giles and Susie. Why isn't there a word for the inevitable itch or tickle that cannot be scratched when we're instructed to stand perfectly still and hold our breath as during a medical examination? <laughs> yes. I can only offer an imperfect answer to this, Beth. So again, I think for the precise translation of this, we need the purple people's help. But I can tell you that one of my favourite words, actually, is the Greek acnestis, A-C-N-E-S-T-I-S. And that is a place that cannot be reached, but which you desperately want to scratch. Mm -hmm. So not quite the same thing. It's not, uh, it's more of a sort of physical obstacle. So you literally can't get it. So the bit on the backbone between the shoulder blades and an animal can't reach it to scratch it either. And in fact, I know that Nala is not your cat, Giles. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do flea treatments and things. But if you do do flea treatments and various medicines on a cat, you put it just in the acnestis, the bit that it can't reach with its paws to rub off. So not not quite the same, not quite the same as the frustration of the, the tickle that only comes when you're sort of focusing on your body because you're not allowed to touch it. That is something else. You mentioned Nala. I ought to clarify uh, for those that don't know, who haven't been listening for the last four years. <laughs> Nala is uh, the neighbour's cat who has come to live with us and came some years ago. To the extent that she still lives with us, the neighbours do still pay the vet's bills. But you'll be amused to know, Susie, the neighbours have now moved away. We still have the cat. There's... Oh, you're kidding. So she is yours now. She, well, she is. And does she have her own cat flap and things? Yes, we do have our own cat flap now. She's allowed <laughs> to come and go. But she never goes back next door. She just stays no. with us. And I say she stays with us. She is truly my wife's cat. At night... She sleeps entirely on my wife's side of the bed. She sleeps oh. on my wife. She And she only goes and sits on chairs and uh, where my wife has been sitting. She is totally oh. devoted to my wife. Oh. That word, an acnestis, is that right? Yes. Acnestis. Is that in yes. any way connected with acne? I see the first four letters are A-C-N-E. Is it the same Oh, yes. Yeah. So acne is, um, if you think about that, that is to do with a, a height or a pinnacle. So actually that ac there is linked to Acropolis, is linked to Acrobat, 
it's linked to acne only because there is a point to the spots on your face, um, weirdly. The acnestis, I think, is different in that it comes from a Greek... It actually meant a cheese grater, believe it or not. So it's all about scratching. So I think it is all about the ah, meaning without in Greek, if you remember, amoral, etc. And the nestis bit, without scratching, it is all about that. So no, it's not linked to acne, not as far as I can tell anyway. Now, that pre-departure feeling, this is from Ruth Carter. Dear Susie and Giles, I had an appointment yesterday and needed to leave the house at 9.30. Being a general worrier, I was ready by 9 o'clock and so had half an hour before I actually needed to leave. I couldn't relax properly in that time or settle to even the easiest or quickest task as I was in a heightened state of anticipation of when I needed to leave. Is there a word for this pre-departure inability to settle. It happens to me a lot and is really frustrating. Many thanks with love from Ruth. Oh, what a brilliant (laughs) inquiry, Ruth. Yes, it is. Well, Ruth, if it's an appointment that you're actually sort of secretly excited, well, not even secretly, but excited about, and so what you're feeling is eager anticipation, then this is betwitterment. So you're feeling Ah. betwitted, overcome and slightly uneasy with pleasing excitement. But if it's something that is just generally a bit more worry-based, and you say you're a, a worrier like Giles and me, then cruci prucles is what you need. Cruci prucles. So this is C, or maybe it's cruci prucles, actually. C-R-O-O-C-H-I-E hyphen, yeah, cruci, P-R-O-O-C-H-L-E-S. And cruci prucles is a very much a Scots expression for the kind of general restlessness and fidgetiness, as well as discomfort from sitting in a cramped position. But in response to Ruth's query here, it's definitely the former. It's the restlessness and it's the fidgetiness. And it's thought to be an altered version of crooky prickles. So you get sort of prickles from just sort of, you know, you just can't sit still. And if it all becomes a bit too much, I can offer you another one, another term from Scots, and that's crinky winky, excuse my terrible accent. This is a poor excuse for not achieving anything at all. Oh, don't give me that crinky winky. Oh, very good. I like that. Are you good at turning up at the last minute to get on trains and planes and things? Or are you like uh, <sighs> Ruth, anxious? I used to be early for most things. And I am now what's the Swedes call a tids optimist, a time optimist. I always think I'm going to make it. Don't always. So now I would say I do cut it fine. But that is just because I think my life is a bit busier and I'm just having to, you know, fit it in. But I, I think you probably always early, are you? I'm usually, yes, I'm comfortably early, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm happy to be early. And curiously, though, if, even if I have an open, this is very odd, even if I have an open ticket, if I turn up at the station and I'm due to take the 11.30 and there was 11, there's an 11 o'clock train, but I'm expected yeah. to take the 11.30, I let the 11 o'clock train go, even if, oh, though, yes, isn't that bizarre? That is strange. Is that a superstition? No, I think it's because I've got sort of, Maybe rather an anal mind. I think I'm on the 11.30. I'll get on the 11.30. 
Oh, okay. Quite strange. No, no, I definitely wouldn't do that. But nor would I. If if I had 30 seconds to try and get the 11 o'clock, I would not dash up the stairs and over the bridge and down the other side in a desperate attempt to make it. I then, I'm resigned to the fact that it will be the later train. Oh, really? No, I've spent too much of my life running up those stairs, running across the thing, running down again. But (laughs) one shouldn't do it. Um, We need to take a quick break. But before we do, just a reminder that we are on stage live at London's Fortune Theatre from time to time. And our next show is on the Sunday, the 19th of February and each show is a live recording of this podcast so obviously each show is different and we would love to meet you if you'd like to come along. Tickets from somethingrhymeswithpurple.com. Quick break and then more of your new words. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Now, Susie, welcome back. Is there a word for catching something in your throat? I stupidly decided today to celebrate our 200th episode that as well as a glass of water, I would enjoy a biscuit. This was a big mistake because (laughs) the crumbs from the biscuit keep tickling my throat and I keep exploding into a cough. Is, Is there a word for biscuit in the throat? Oh, I don't know if a biscuit in the throat, that, that gives a whole new meaning to a snack accident, doesn't it? Because ah. normally it means having too many. But this actually, I think, is maybe it was a, a bit of a snack accident or a, a what, what else could we call it? Let, leave it with me. Yeah, well, it's a, I'm sure there's a funny punny one out there. Crumb in the throat. That's what I've got. <laughs> Who else has been in touch looking for words that don't yet exist? Well, Mike Williams has been in touch about one of my bugbears, actually, because he's asked, uh, Mike is in Worcestershire, he's asked if there is a word to describe the time or pause between a TV show presenter saying, and the winner is, and then actually announcing the name. Over the years, Mike says, it feels to me like the time or pause has got longer and longer, and it's generally so long I start feeling a bit awkward. Is there a word for that pause or time delay? And it is ridiculous, isn't it, now? They just... Is it... I mean, is there a phrase like a pregnant, is it a pregnant pause? It's a pregnant pause. It's a sort of jeopardy moment, isn't it, really, where, um, you know, they just constantly point the camera at all the different people waiting for the results. And it is quite awkward. And and personally, I hate it. A lot of people equally are talking about a momentous moment. He says, and that jars with me, a momentous moment. But I'm hearing it a lot on the news. But I'm going to call it a meliminous moment. Meliminous, which keeps the alliteration. And it's from the Latin molimen, meaning weighty or fraught with significance. So I'm going to call it a meliminous moment. A meliminous, a meliminous yes, moment. A, yes, uh, M-O-L-I-M-I-N-O-U-S, meliminous moment. I have to tell you, it's not got, it's not going to catch on, Susie. It's not, I know. I just call it the sort of Jeopardy pause, but I am totally with Mike. It gets longer and longer. I think Jeopardy pause is very, very good phrase for it. This is the Jeopardy pause. We're holding our breath, and we're going to do it now. And now, tell us, Aaron Brown, what (laughs) is your question? 
Hello, Susie and Giles. I hope this message finds you both well. I married into an Iranian-British family and have since learned that the Persian language is laced with wonderful words and phrases, which we struggle to translate as there is no English equivalent. Among these is the word tarof, the act of being overtly and persistently generous towards a guest, but perhaps not necessarily genuine about it. But tarof is also applied to the behaviour of the recipient of said generosity, who will in turn politely and repeatedly turn down what is on offer, even though they probably really want it. So it sounds like quite a complicated etiquette ritual. And um, basically, Aaron says that it is a practice that is in equal parts admirable, adorable and amusing. Do we have any equivalent in English? Well, I can certainly offer you an equivalent for the last bit, which is to politely turn down something when you really, really want it. So this could be the last Rolo or chocolate eclair. It could be the only seat left at a football match that you're offered and you decline it out of courtesy, even though you do really want it. And it is called Kismus, A-C-C-I-S-M-U-S. And it is defined in the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, as the pretended refusal of something one keenly desires. It's first recorded in the 16th century and it comes from a Greek word meaning shyness or prudery. And actually, I can tell you that for centuries, it was a social requirement, really. If you think about Jane Austen's novels full of female achismas, where you kind of feign coyness because it was expected from society. Mm. So I can offer you that. I can't offer you, however, something for a guest constantly offering you something, even though it's not really genuine. But at least we've got achismas. Yeah. What about pseudo-pressure? Pseudo-pressure, yes, that's not bad. I mean, it, yeah. because it's 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 pretend. It, it's a kind of, yeah. yes. I mean, well, it's pseudo-courtesy, yeah. but it's, mm, it's very intriguing. It's a fascinating phenomenon, actually. Yes. Well, we ought to say, if people have the answer to these queries, because we're airing them for the first time, do get in touch. Please send them to us, purple at something else.com. The next letter says... Hi, Giles and Susie. Love the show. I listen from Hong Kong while I work in a primary school teaching literacy skills. I was wondering if there's a word for the unnerving feeling of sitting in an empty seat, usually on public transport, and finding it still warm, even though you didn't see its previous occupant leave. Oh, this is fascinating. I've discovered there's a term for the residual warmth when experienced on a toilet seat, Ghost cheeks, oh. oh good God, but have so far found nothing related to the feeling the second occupant experiences. Ugh. Would love to know. I know, it's so horrible. Uh, I, well, it? I think it's, it's completely true. gripping this. Would love to know if there is a word for that moment when you become aware of sharing body heat with an unknown stranger. Oh, Sally Sonics. Well, Sally Sonics is a great name for a start. Maybe yes. Sonic should be the, the the word if it's a Maybe new it should, word. because I don't know a word for it. So I was going to say before you started this that I, I have to put this one out to the purple people because I'm sure we will find some funny responses. And I think Ghost Cheeks is absolutely excellent as well. It is such a recognisable phenomenon, this. It's horrible, isn't it? A warm... It, a warm chair sometimes is pretty unpleasant as well if you don't know who's been sitting there, but the toilet seat just takes the biscuit. I think the toilet seat with ghost cheeks does take the biscuit and the first prize, but I don't feel the same way as you. When I sit down in the underground, and particularly if it's a cold train and the seat is already, has been pre-warmed, uh, <laughs> pre-loved, maybe that's it, pre-loved, uh, I'm rather gratified. I think, oh good, someone's done the work for me. 
Um, mm. But you you feel yeah. I, the underground is. So I can see what you mean there. Maybe it's sort of direct contact of flesh to sort of something that somebody yes, else's flesh. Because this will bleh. this will be people usually on the underground when I'm traveling. People are wearing clothes. So <laughs> um, you know. Oh well, Charles. Do you know what? There are so many here, and unfortunately, what? our time is up. So we're going to have to return to You're this joking. because they are absolutely brilliant. Oh, they no. are brilliant. Oh, they look, are. well, look, thank you, everybody. This, What I think this is really telling us is that the purple people, we all feel we are purple people. This is a shared, it's been four years for us, 200 episodes, but you have been as much part of it as we have been part of it. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for spreading the word. We literally have had many millions of downloads. As some of you may know, we, we won an award as the best entertainment podcast. It's been a, a glorious journey of 200 episodes, but you have been with us all the way. So we really do do thank you. We do. Uh, we really, really do. And uh, just, yeah, thank you for staying with us. And um, thank you also to all of those who've joined the Purple Plus Club where we do some bonus episodes on words and language. But however you listen to us, we are extremely grateful. Jazz, we are 200 today. Do you have a special anniversary poem for us? I've chosen my favourite poet. I'm giving you a little bit of William Shakespeare. You'll be familiar with it. It comes from a play as you like it. It's one of the most famous speeches in all of Shakespeare. In Act 2, Scene 7, Jaques says, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Then, the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like furnace, with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honour, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly, with good capon lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances. And so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again toward childish treble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. Beautiful. Thank you so much for reading us that. As always, Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production produced by Harriet Wells with additional production from Chris Skinner, Ollie Wilson, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, Teddy Riley and the person who has been there from the start, though he couldn't quite be bothered to turn up today, Giles. No, because he's warming his ghost cheeks. Oh, exactly. that's it. That's good enough. It's gully. It's gully.